0: Welcome to the Viewpoints podcast with your host, Henry Grossek. Welcome to Viewpoints, listeners. I'm your host, Henry Grossek. It gives me great pleasure to welcome regular guest on Viewpoints, Dr. David Roy, lecturer in the School of Education at the University of Newcastle, New South Wales. Welcome again to Viewpoints, David Roy.
1: As always, it's a real pleasure just to sit and chat to you, Henry. So thank you again for the invite.
0: Oh, absolutely. Now we do. We were talking off air, and uh, you have uh, you have quite a fascination with Star Trek. Why is
1: that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I kind of like science fiction. There's there's a I don't think there's a hidden geek in me. There's a there's a kind of an out and out geek within me. I, I guess it, it comes from family. Um, my father was a professor of astronomy. Uh, up in Glasgow and was involved in moon landings and, and such like. And one of the memories I have as a child is, is sitting there with him and uh, uh, watching Star Trek and, and Doctor Who as well. And I guess I've always quite liked it because its message is about hope for the future. Its message is about actually different races, different species, but it's always allegorical to what happens on Earth actually working together and finding a solution and working with equity and democracy. So I guess it's always appealed to me in that way. Um, Yeah, not all my family can agree with this, but (laughs) I guess it's a childhood memory. And it's something I've I've just always found as a way to decompress and, and process with
0: brings up the other topic of nostalgia doesn't it nostalgia mm. can be so heartwarming and at the same time David uh, and we'll bring you the psychologist in David Roy here it can also <laughs> be it can also be debilitating uh, depending on
1: how you handle nostalgia probably like a lot of things I think I think it's it's very true that nostalgia can can be something that you can look back with and fondly I guess when we look at any memories and, and and the past, it's it's what we do with it. It's do we do we hold on to the past and let it control us? Or do we use the past to let us move forward and, and, and find a, a way to sometimes forgive, not necessarily forget, but to not hold on to to a grudge, to not hold on to bitterness and realise, you know, how, how can this benefit me and those around me rather than actually damage me? And that's easy to say. It can be quite hard to do, but it's something I think we have to actively and consciously do. So I embraced the past and, and realised that for all my flaws and all the mistakes I've been involved in or bad things that have happened to me as well as the good, they've made me who I am and they've, they've taken me through those sliding doors, as it were, to the moment I'm in now. And I cannot regret the past because I can't change it, so I just have to learn from it.
0: Hmm. That's interesting you should say all that, David. Because in the times, and we've had quite a few conversations, both on air and off air, um, you're an extremely humble man there. Because I've actually never heard you admit to me any of your great mistakes in life. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I think we have to recognise that we're all deeply flawed and we, we all go through mental health challenges at different times as well and I think we actually need to recognise that. There was about, I don't know, a period, must have been about 10 years ago that I was really struggling with mental health in lots of different ways and, and had to reach out to get support. Because, as someone once said to me, resourceful people use resources. So, yeah, we <laughs> no one is perfect, Henry. Not even thyself. <laughs> no, no, that is true.
0: <laughs> oh, and you know, it's an interesting thing. I was chatting with someone the other day um, in in my professional capacity, and uh, they had been holding on to to some information which about themselves, which and their their struggles, which they felt. Um, would would be best kept quiet and secret um, and yet was impacting on on their children's uh, lives at school um, mm. because they didn't want shame or judgement and yet once we had a confidential chat about it uh, they felt relieved uh, I felt in a better position to understand them and uh, it's almost counterintuitive isn't it S- airing... Some of those weaknesses, those fears, uh, uh, those those disappointments it can make you feel better. And once it's on the table, it's out there, isn't it? I, th-
1: I think that's the case, but it's got to be at the right moment. It... I guess with, with, with everyone, there's points when you have to go, I'm not quite ready to share this until – time ready to do it it's a hard way to say but you've got to feel comfortable enough with the individuals to do so so that you know that there's a trust there's a care and that there's something in, in place to allow you to move forward from it um so yeah and, and i think we have to recognize that even the most outgoing gregarious people have parts to themselves that they need to keep to themselves that need that privacy but yeah if, if you can share what's going on with yourself because if in the, with the best people around you who are true friends, then you will always find support, and it will only make things better. Holding things quietly inside can only twist and turn. Well, this is turning into a very serious, important conversation today. Absolutely. <laughs> now,
0: now, I was I was just wanting to catch your opinion on something here. I was looking at, and again, it's not about. The political parties. It's about my, it's about people voting. There's a survey came out, the Resolve one in the uh, in the the Age newspaper, and it, it it compared people's perceptions of the two leaders, Morrison mm-hmm. and Albanese. And uh, on the one hand, people were saying that they were more confident about. Managing the economy by the Prime Minister than they were about Mr. Albanese, yet they rated Mr. Albanese higher on competence and trustworthiness than they did <laughs> Mr. Morrison. And look, look, forgive me if, I, if, if, if I've missed something here, but I thought to myself, well, if I didn't trust you and I thought you're incompetent which, of course, I don't, David. I think you're trustworthy and competent. Take your hand back right, right right <laughs> um, I'd hardly think you were a better lecturer if I didn't trust you and didn't think you were. So I, I see a contradiction there in, in, in that. Now, does that show up the contradictory nature of people or does it show up a flaw in the survey way they ask questions? Because I know in your research, having questions that have efficacy is, is very important.
1: Oh, a lot of it is to do with the the questions that are asked um, to make sure that they are how they're framed. It's the same way that the way they framed the the Republican debate and the question for that um, for for Australia about two three decades ago. And that that was again another flawed question, deliberately to, to create a certain result. I think part of the problem is is the narrative that the media creates around personalities and the the same curated narrative that the parties themselves promote. Um, It's it's quite interesting that we often think about the Liberal LNP as, as better economic managers, because when you actually look at the data, it it doesn't actually say that they have been any particularly better than than say any other party in power, which would normally be Labour. They've kind of been about both equals. They've both got strengths and weaknesses and others. The trust idea, I'm not sure if it's so much that we trust um, Albanese more. I I think it could be more more to do that we trust the current Prime Minister, less because of recent narratives that have come out from the media, whether it be from um, French presidents or bitter members of their own party. Um, I, I'm, I'm trying to be very careful not to take a political side in it. So I think I think we've got to be very aware that the media have an agenda, whether it be the ABC or Fairfax or the uh, uh, News Corp, and, and they make certain decisions about who they promote. They, they've suddenly changed and are promoting Anthony Albanese as a personality when they've ignored him throughout the COVID crisis. So, yeah, I, I don't really quite trust these things. It's more to do with perceptions of, of how we're being informed more than what is the actual reality and truth about individuals. It
0: it segues into a a bigger picture issue. I talk to people in other countries, uh, particularly Western countries more Mm. so than non-Western about politics and the cynicism about politicians that is often expressed here in Australia among the people uh, that I meet and, and obviously in the public discourse seems to be reflected in many other countries and I'm thinking are politicians just by nature or over the world people that uh, the public have a low opinion of or is it the nature of the job because there seems to be a fairly standard pattern?
1: Yeah, I, I think it's partly to do with the job, it's the fact you cannot please all the people all the time, so therefore you're going to <laughs> th- ever going to be disappointing groupings that is either it's never quite enough what they wanted or you weren't able to do what they wanted and of course different politicians come from different ideologies and so we're always going to have that issue. There is a I think a growing issue with professional politicians um, ones who just go through the ranks of the party and then take power I love the the idea of when we come across politicians who have actually lived in the real world and spent a significant amount of time. I I may not agree with them and their policies, uh, but I I respected the fact that Julie Bishop had worked within companies, um, even if I didn't always agree with her policies when she was the foreign secretary. So I guess that's why it usually comes down to me when I'm, I'm voting. I choose to vote for my local candidate, who I kind of know And I I go by the individual more than the party because the parties themselves have got their own kind of, I guess, agendas separate to maybe what my local community has. Mm,
0: Good point. A good point on which to take a break, David. We'll take a short break. Don't go away. Welcome back to Viewpoints Listeners, I'm your host Henry Russell. I'm going to have a discussion, a wide-ranging discussion on all sorts of things and everything with Dr David Roy, who's a lecturer in education at the University of Newcastle, New South Wales. Welcome back, David. Thanks, Henry. Now, David, we're in the third year of COVID. We always do cover that. It's moved on in many ways. Mm-hmm. Many things have changed. What's it doing to the university sector this, uh, this year at this point in time?
1: Well, it's, it's having the same impact I think it's having in schools. Um, we've continually got students who are close contacts or um, actually have COVID and have to be absent. Uh, indeed, um, one of my family members managed to get COVID from school two weeks ago. And so as a close contact, I had to stay in isolation in the house um, for a week and not actually take my tutorials and lectures. (laughs) So it's been an interesting experience. We managed to keep everything um, clear. We would open windows. We isolated my eldest son in his room. Um, He wasn't even allowed to pet the dogs because you can transfer secondary through that way. No one else in the household doesn't. got it and we're all clear again. But it's going through the community because this is a highly infectious variant that's going at least through New South Wales, I think, as well as Victoria. So it's Becoming the new norm of disruption and where students are contacting saying, will this affect my ability to complete this course because I'm going to be below 80 percent attendance? But it's COVID and we just have to accept that Um, for kids doing their HSC or their Victorian certificate or other state qualifications, depending on what state or territory you're in. It's going to have an impact and it's really impacting in classrooms, um, in schools because of the amount of teachers who are therefore having to isolate. So they can't take their classes. So classes have to be put together. So learning is being disrupted for those kids who aren't in an ISO family. So I think just across the board and education, it's having an impact. And educators are, at universities, like at schools, are doing what they've always done and they're adapting to manage the situation, to give the best outcomes, despite what, shall we say, the administrators and the high hegens, which is a Scottish phrase for means the high head ones, the high hegens, um, aren't able to do anything about because those on the ground floor actually deal with it.
0: Mm, interesting um one of, I was having a chat to someone the other day, and we 're talking and we 're talking about the impact the long term impact on people uh, in terms of mm-hmm. their mental health and well being yeah. and uh, part of the narrative is that uh, quite justifiably that there's children and adults who that may well be irreparably um, impacted negatively by this, uh, all the things that have happened in COVID. This particular person said, but Henry, there's an alternative uh, viewpoint, as there always is, and we have viewpoints as our program. And mm-hmm. I said, yeah, what's that? They said, look, it might be unwarranted, it's uh, unwanted, uh, and, 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 and it's caused a lot of, a lot of um, damage in many ways, but at the end of a long day, won't we come out possibly a more adaptable and resilient society per se? Uh, is, is Isn't that another way of looking at it? What do you think?
1: Listen, well, so I think that's exactly what has always happened, that when we have something that impacts the whole world and all human beings and is here to stay, and COVID's not going to be going away anywhere, we do have to adapt. It's going to change the way that we focus on our, our work, Um, And the the kind of the push that's always been to work more, work harder and recognise that maybe we actually need to have longer breaks, that people won't have the same energy. The the impacts of long COVID, both physically and mentally, are, are going to play out for the next two decades as we work out what the real impacts are. So I think we will adapt. Um, It will change things and attitudes will change. We actually might become a more caring community in society. I kind of hoped that was happening at the start of COVID. It seems to have disappeared as human beings have retreated back into their selfish ways. But there will be a grouping that is starting to, people are starting to recognise Maybe we should work more from home. Maybe there are higher priorities to do with community and engagement with people rather than just grabbing what is there for you. So it's going to take time uh, for both the health, physical and mental changes to, to impact and really embed themselves as we create a hopefully a better society. And that could be the benefit, one of the other benefits potentially, will be that we'll ensure that Australia rebuilds some of its primary industries because we realise that while we're not trying to isolate from the rest of the world, sometimes we don't have a choice and we need to be maybe a bit more self-sufficient again rather than outsourcing to everywhere else, which can only grow us as as a nation in the long term.
0: Mm. Now, talking about uh, things that impact on us uh, and climate change has been brought into the discussion and, and your state, New South Wales, uh, particularly on the East Coast, has, has suffered uh, uh, the incredible weather that you've had and the damage and the repetitiveness of over the last couple of months. Uh, how's that playing out?
1: Yeah, it's wet. Um, we're, we're getting Very another weird. another week of flooding happening. In fact, there was images coming out from Sydney uh, of more streets and, and kind of suburbs flooded out within the, the greater Sydney area today. It's, it's quite disturbing because the reason we're getting more rain is because of climate change. And people go, but we normally have warmer weather, it's wet, it can't be climate change. Basic facts, and I think we've talked about this before, when the oceans warm up, they release more moisture into the atmosphere, that becomes clouds when it hits land, we get flooded. And then we'll have lots of kind of growth within the bush, and then three years' time when we move into drought season, that will all go on fire and won't burn again. So, yeah, climate change is going to change our lifestyle completely. We're going to become a much more, I guess, tropical um country in in the edges, we'll have lots w- more wetter weather, but we'll also have lot greater heat happening throughout other periods of the decade as well. So I think we're going to have to adapt because um, we don't seem to be changing. Our behaviours. We're still eating lots of um, meat, which adds to the methane of the growth. Mm. Uh, we're still driving lots of petrol cars because the governments haven't put in tax breaks for EVs to come in. Uh, we're still relying on coal power stations. So we just have to decide do we want to have a more comfortable life? for the short term or a more comfortable life for the long term. I, I prefer the long term. I've got kids. I'm hoping that they might have kids if they choose to. I'd like the future generations to have a, a, a nice climate and a easier way of living. And I think to do that, we need to cut down our emissions.
0: It's mm, a good point. When you're talking about your children and the children beyond that, the grandchildren, great grandchildren, etc. I was reading a report the other day, which is fascinating, and it, it's it's something that's of of uh, I think uh, interest. Uh, should be of interest to us. Um, the report, uh, and I can't quote it exactly here. I haven't got it in front of me, but it was reporting that more and more men under the age of thirty in Australia are choosing to have vasectomies. Uh, uh, and partly it's because um, of commitment, but the other part is they don't want to uh, take the risk of bringing children into a world which they see as irreparably damaged and going heading south. Fascinating uh, mm. area to explore because it, it runs against the traditional biological explanation of species survival, doesn't it?
1: I know. It does, not and I have to say there are... There are questions I, I raise about the motivations people are kind of claiming to have. Um, I, I think it's 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 sad because I think we still need to have our population grow. It's it's not that we shouldn't grow our population. In fact, the Australian population that is born here is shrinking, unless, of course, you're a Premier of New South Wales in which you're trying to make up for it as best as you possibly can (laughs) by having a a football team. (laughs) But I think there are real issues... To be dealt with about if people are choosing not to have families, what are the real reasons going on? If there are financial pressures that are happening there, we've maybe got an economic system that isn't working. If we have fear within the community and that they don't that overrides that biological need, then you've got to ask for some real mental health challenges that we need to maybe fund and deal with. Because I think that there's I take it the exact opposite way i think we have a glorious um planet i think we have a potential for a wonderful future and i want that to grow and share with multiple kids all around the place Um, so yeah it does concern me um that people feel that way and again it comes back to what we were saying at the start today it's linked to the media narrative (laughs) <laughs> and we will finish there, my dear friends.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you have a great weekend up there in the wetlands. <laughs> we're we'll having, hand. we're having beautiful autumnal weather down here.
1: Down in lovely Victoria, where it's as often four seasons in one. day Absolutely,
0: we're getting one at the moment, and I think we've shunted sadly too much of our bad weather up to you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you Joy, a- listen. I have a great one, Henry. And again, as always, a pleasure to be on and I look forward to the next time.
0: Absolutely. That was Dr. David Roy, a great person to have on uh, our, our programme and a, and, a, and, a, and a very thought-provoking thinker in many fields, including his own of education. We'll take a short break. Listeners. You've been listening to the Viewpoints Podcast, hosted by Henry Grossick and produced by Rob Kelly. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review and rate
1: us via Apple Podcasts.